Welcome to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. Each month, your host and the panel of senior practitioners take you through the stories and developments of the month in the practice of corporate public affairs across the globe. Now, to take you through the latest developments, here is your host, Wayne Burns. Well, welcome everyone to In Conversation, a regular webinar, which is then edited as a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs. The theme and approach of the program is to talk with one or two very senior practitioners and talk about the issues and the developments over the past month that have been featured in our weekly news manifest front and center and to talk to these practitioners about uh, their views uh, around these issues that affect the socio-political environment in which the corporate public affairs function uh, is focused on and works and to also talk about how the management of the function or how the issues uh, that the function interacts with uh, really affects the, our socio-political environment uh, in which we live and work. This week, we're very happy to have uh, from uh, Stockland, uh, Lou Guttrell, who's the Head of Government Affairs and Industry Relations at Stockwell. And uh, Lou is a, um, a senior practitioner who uh, focuses on public policy, uh, stakeholder uh, engagement, uh, general reputation uh, management of the company with uh, tier one stakeholders in government um, and public policy uh, across Australia. And Melanie McMillany. Melanie is a senior associate of the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, where she's been for the last uh, 12 years working with us. And uh, Melanie is also a reputation expert and a, a brand doctor, if I can use that term. Thank so we kick off this week and talk about uh, uh, an issue that's been bubbling along in the US and it has an impact on corporate public affairs and its practice in Australia. And that's the campaign by a fair few corporations, about 30 corporations who have signed up for a campaign against uh, the restriction of uh, voting rights through new legislation in around about 30 US states. And these big companies, uh, including uh, Merck Shopdown, Coca-Cola, uh, American Airlines, United Airlines, uh, for example, uh, have organized a campaign and they have uh, uh, asked um, their, their shareholders and their suppliers as well to join this campaign in actively opposing uh, legislation that critics say will restrict the ability of uh, Black Americans, uh, uh, Latino Americans and Asian Americans to, uh, to vote and to participate in the democratic process. Now, there's been a big pushback um, from state legislatures and especially from uh, Republican Party controlled legislatures uh, against corporations saying, look, CEOs, we want you to donate to us, but stick to your knitting. So I'm just wondering, both of you looking at that issue, how it's unfolded and it is unfolding, uh, is, is this a, a, a bit of a tipping point for corporations uh, becoming more active in not just public policy issues that affect them and affect their bottom line, um, but is this, is this overreach? Is this the new normal? Um, what, what do you see uh, uh, is maybe the trajectory of this issue? Because the pushback from the conservative media and especially from the Republican Party, it was quite quick and it's quite robust as well. I might get you to kick off on that one, uh, Lou. 
Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Look, I think it's really interesting, um, you know, following from a distance. I think, you know, one half, very relatable one half, um, you know, probably a little bit foreign. I think um, the, the big observation for me um, uh, as I was reflecting on whether this is something that, you know, these corporations are doing, whether it's driven by, you know, by, by self-interest or whether it's driven by ethics, there's, there's probably a little bit of a collision in this instance. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you think about the big social issues that they've you know, that they've been asked to comment on. Uh, you know, this is this is probably pretty clearly for for Mario one that, that they've got a you know a, a combination of a moral and a vested interest in. I think you know a, a, that that vested interest is probably driven predominantly by the fact that they're you know these these are large corporations that have you know employee bases all over the country. Um, you know, in the instance of black voter rights, you know, I know a lot of the, you know, there are a lot of um, you know airline companies coming out as part of that as well. You know, they'll have um, you know, um, employees who are going to be impacted by this sort of thing um, and that they're ultimately trying to create a, um, you know, a, a workplace. There's an expectation that they'll create a workplace, I should say, that's inclusive. Um, and obviously this is the type of thing that, you know, can be quite divisive. So it's, um, you know, I, I want to say that on, on one hand, they're doing it quite purely out of, a, you know, because it is the right thing to do because it's, you know, it's in the interest of preserving, you um, uh, you know, um, a, a free and, and um, you know, uh, uninterrupted democratic uh, participation. But I think that there's probably as much what, what gives them the capacity to comment so publicly is probably as much because there is a, um, you know, a vested requirement driven by that employee base and in part probably customer base as well. What do you yeah, think? I'd, I'd like to echo that sentiment. I mean, I think it comes back to the experience of the Trump era where the companies have decided the grand old party or the right wing are just nut jobs. And, you know, the, the grand old party no longer has a clear and controllable narrative. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, Trump saw to that. I mean, and any thoughtful, educated Republican has abandoned the party as it is impossible to reason with them. And they've proven to be lawless and wouldn't get back in if it weren't for the gerrymandering system, which is archaic and as we know, built upon slavery. So CEOs have had to step into the breach and fill the void created by government and lead on societal issues. And as Lou was saying, you know, employees are expecting their CEOs to step up um, as evidenced by the Edelman Trust Barometer. I mean, trust in societal leaders, government, religious journalists and CEOs uh, are now required to do the right thing. Um, do you think it's overreach in, in some way, though? I mean, uh, corporations don't vote, uh, individuals yeah, vote. But, but they, their employees and their customers, as Lou was saying, vote. And many of these companies are international companies. So they need to be reflecting not just the American environment, but the global environment and the interests of, of the world. Um, and, and that expectation is being voiced by investors and stakeholders alike. Um, they need to think think of other, you know, other jurisdictions. And they can't afford to be passive anymore because the market just won't tolerate it. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting observation. This isn't new, of course, because the last five or six years, especially in the US, um, employee activism, uh, pushing their corporations to get involved in public policy issues, maybe outside the, the, the issues that, that that industry specifically is involved in. Um, and, and I'm thinking about Black Lives Matters, uh, Never Again, which is uh, the, 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 gun, the, the gun violence, um, uh, anti-gun 
violence uh, movement, but also uh, employees at companies like Google and Microsoft um, pushing back on senior management on the type of contracts that the, those companies uh, will work on, and especially defense contacts, uh, contracts which include um, artificial intelligence for, for guided missile uh, systems. Uh, so it's interesting. It's, it's, what do you think in the Australian environment? Um, is, this, is this an observe and um, be interested in, or do you think, um, because some of these companies are also doing business in, in Australia, that there's going to be some knock-on effect in this part of the world of companies becoming uh, more active. But some have already, for example, around um, the, the Uluru Statement and supporting um, the voice uh, as well, uh, an Indigenous voice um, um, in our uh, parliamentary system. It's a really good point, Wayne. I think um, the Uluru Statement's a really, a really good comparison. I think what a lot of companies are going to be forced to do if they're not already do it already is try and work out what their um, uh, what their playing field for issues is. I think that there are, there's going to be some some clear and obvious ones that are easy to sort of push to the margins and not have to comment on. But I think increasingly you're going to see things like the Uluru statement becoming really relevant. It, it, what sort of stuck me um, is as I was reflecting on this is how quickly. I wouldn't say it's a new issue, but I do think there's been some movement on this in the last few years. Um, and, um, you know, as a, uh, a growing up in the 90s, I clearly missed this, but, you know, watching The Last Dance recently on Netflix and, um, you know, the uh, the legacy of Michael Jordan, um, that that comment that, that sort of really stuck with me that, um, that got him into a lot of trouble in the um, uh, around the branding of his sneakers, you know, um, uh, I think it was something like Republicans buy sneakers too, right? Like, that, uh, as much as I want to say that was like 20, 30 years ago, or it might be, it doesn't feel like, I feel like I have some recollection of that being um, probably a, a part of the conversation not that long ago. And I think if you reflect in our own context, something like same-sex marriage legislation, a lot of the push that was happening uh, prior to the vote itself, it wasn't as clear as, you know, the top 30 CEOs in, in the country coming out and saying they support this. It was actually, it was, it was re still reasonably something that, that a lot of people were putting a lot of thought into. And I think that, you know, perhaps it's taken something like, you know, the Trumpian era of American politics to, um, to get people to really think about how important, um, you know, a, a, a creating a values-based system within an organisation is. Um, I'm not too sure. I do have another theory that I, I should uh, preface by saying I think is entirely speculative without a lot of foundation. But I think if you look, if you, I wouldn't be surprised if you looked at the um, uh, at where a lot of these head offices are based in the US. I think you know it, 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 there's probably something that speaks to the um, you know the increasing polarization of the metropolitan and rural vote. You know that Republican Democratic split, and I think you know you could. You could Draw a lot of draw a lot of links between um, the fact that you know big corporations aren't necessarily going to be based in a lot of these um, you know their head offices I should say in a lot of these rural centres that are a lot of uh, where a lot of the Republican vote is. However, they got they're going to have um, customers there. They're going to have operating branches there, and that's going to require them to have positions despite not being necessarily in um, yeah, uh, founded in that base. Um, also, in the in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, RepTrack, uh, which is a, a, a company, a research company that that focuses very much on uh, corporate uh, reputation, released its top global 100 for 2021 based on research in 2020. Um, and uh, the, the top five companies 
we would all know they're consumer-facing companies, which is Lego, Rolex, Ferrari, Bosch, and Harley-Davidson. So RepTrack have decided these are the top uh, five uh, corporations in the world for uh, reputation. Now, just wondering around that, you know, I don't want to diss RepTrack in, in, in any way, but the, uh, the methodology was to ask general, uh, the general public um, about uh, reputation um, and, and what, what they think the most, you know, the, the best reputation uh, corporations are. What's the utility of this type of research that RepTrack does for, for corporations? Do you, do you think when you look at those top five, that, that, that there's a couple of companies there that, um, uh, that would probably do very good in terms of their corporate responsibility, very good in their stakeholder engagement. But um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts is. This, is, is. Is a methodology like this, is it useful for the practice of corporate public affairs? Or is it more of a popularity uh, contest uh, among the, the general public? I mean, who determines the reputation of an organization? Melanie, might kick up with you with your reputation hat on. I mean, reputation always matters. It always has, it always will. And reputation risk management is up there with any organization's risk management strategy. I mean, I think the rep track, um, you know, the annual top 100 is a bit like a beauty parade to an extent because it's done on a consumer level. It's not with a particular targeted stakeholder lens. So I think it provides, you know, more, you know, public profile for the importance of reputation, but doesn't take it into its genuine role as a tool for public affairs practitioners to identify, isolate either you know, growing issues or to really hold up a mirror to the organisation across, you know, the, 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 the critical dimensions of, uh, of reputation, which are, you know, across financial governance, product and service relevance, employee engagement and, you know, workplace environment, health, um, along with other dimensions. I think often organisational cultures can be blind to the organisation's position in the market and reputation assessments um, are fundamental to highlight where an organisation is perhaps perceived to be weak. Um, also running a particular reputation study at a particular time around an issue is, is critical to, uh, you know, to drill down on the, the issues confronting an organisation that perhaps it's not seeing as, as being of significance. I mean, we know from the work that we do that you know, reputations are dynamic and fluid and, and they need to be continually measured to identify any critical issues to influence you know, our crisis and issues management strategies but particularly in relation to employee sentiments and ESG dimensions, you know, um, and those are sort of some of the areas in which reputation really, really reputation measurement is, is critical. So it's something like the top 100, uh, I, I'm, I don't want to verbal you here, but you, you, I think you're saying it, it, it's interesting that not, it may not be germane to a, 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 as a, a, a really effective management tool if, no. if building it's, corporate reputation yeah it's a bit like the academy awards you know great but you know i don't actually subscribe to that view it's the general public's view are they the critical stakeholders that have the power and influence to shift the positive perceptions of an organization or to influence the 
you know, the performance of the organisation through whether it's lobbying or through, you know, some sort of defensive or offensive media strategy. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think it's a valuable tool. I think there are other, and, and I'm sure it does, and it also has a huge body of work, and I'm not being critical of RepTrack because I think for its purpose, it delivers what it needs to do. It does some great work. Yeah, but I think from a public affairs perspective, no, I don't think it delivers what it needs to do. You are listening to In Conversation, a podcast from the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs, a membership-based organisation comprising companies, industry associations and government departments across Asia-Pacific. The Centre works with its members and other entities to apply best practice to extend their social licence to operate. The Centre develops and delivers executive education globally, conducts research and provides specialist consulting services. Now, back to your host of this episode of In Conversation. Uh, Lou, what's, a, what's, what's your view? <clears throat> yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, having recently um, uh, bought a recycled Lego for my daughter's sixth birthday, um, that was going to be about my one criticism of, of Lego up until this point. I think, um, I think you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to, to criticise a lot of those top brands. It probably shows the strength of their consumer uh, their consumer brand more than anything else, as, as Melanie said. Um, I think that uh, in in the roles we have, trying to um, to uh, to obtain some sort of you know numerical um, uh, measure for uh, what a corporate brand is is really difficult, and um, we're, we're always searching for more and searching for you know for other ways to test it and other ways to try and get a, a base measurement on it. And, and so I think so, while something like this, you could ultimately say is, is you know, isn't necessarily reflective of, of, uh, of a corporate brand. I think, you know, it's probably one, uh, you know, a piece of data in a, in a bigger data set that you, you need to, um, to think about. Um, you know, there's, there's clearly a reason that there aren't many, um, or if any banks or, uh, you know, property companies in that list. Um, uh, but you know that doesn't necessarily much love corporations as they are. Much love corporations, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I think you can perhaps perhaps the values looking at things like trends, and I I know that, that there's you know I suspect it was this one, but I know other studies have shown it as well that you know through this period there's been a real increase in in trust um, in corporations and you know and in, in corporate brands, and I think part of that's a reflection of you know. The, you know, the need for certainty in periods of uncertainty. Um, I know that the, the example that I have sort of um, recorded a few times for the last 12 months is, um, you know, the, the peak of the, the COVID lockdowns, our CEO was delivering, um, you know, all of staff updates. It felt very similar to the, the same address the Prime Minister had given, you know, two hours earlier. It was a lot of, lot of you know, it, it was reinforcing a lot of that messaging. And really interestingly was people really latched on some, some of the highest buy-in that we've had from employees as well, um, you know, in, as I said, in a time that, you know, that, that certainly is really important. So, you know, reflect, re trends probably more than anything, perhaps, what I'm getting to. Yeah, interesting. Uh, some, some essential uh, polling uh, research uh, that, that uh, we were briefed on around about uh, three months ago showed that, I mean, it was, it was a peak um, they've done trust in institutions. It, it, it's the peak, very peak of their research, trust in, uh, this is two months ago, trust in governments and trust in corporations. Since then, yeah. trust in governments has fallen away. Um, and, and the trust in government was mainly around um, like COVID-19 uh, safety um, management, pandemic measurement. Now that there's, um, there's various views about the effectiveness of the vaccine uh, rollout, um, if it is being rolled out in some areas, um, that in itself 
according to essentials, actually taken some of the shine off um, trusting government as well. So essentially yeah. certainty um, is, is certainly there. Talking about certainly, um, there's been um, quite a lot of corporate activity over the past three months around climate change. And you've um, uh, internationally and in Australia, you've got many large corporations actually um, going out ahead of what is um, government uh, targets and government policy, a federal government at, le at least, and setting their own climate change uh, targets. Um, and 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 in, often they are ahead of, of uh, in Australia at least the national government and overseas as well. And what's required from a regulatory point of view. Um, just wondering, is this placing those companies at odds with governments who haven't set national target? Is it a slap in the face for governments? Is or is it um, just enlightened self-interest? And just a triple load that question. Do you think it's going to have any impact on climate change uh, policy at a national level, both here in Australia and across Asia Pacific? Lou, we might get to you to, to kick off this one. Yeah, sure. I, I think this comes back similar to that first question, Wayne. It's a real amalgamation of, um, you know, of vested interest and you know, moral responsibility. I think there's actually a really strong argument in this case that, that, that you know, companies have a really strong vested interest in, in, in doing something here. And I think there's probably, you know, there's probably three key reasons in my mind for it. I think the first is that um, this, this debate, the energy climate debate in Australia has just rattled on for you know, a better part of almost 20 years now. Um, uh, corporations require certainty, making decisions over long time periods like government. And you know, I think many have just gotten to a point where um, if government can't provide uh, the direction that they need to, to make long-term decisions and they'll look to create some of that for themselves. I think the second reason, and it's a growing reason, is that the, is a, a, you know, there is a growing investor base that is demanding to see um, credentials in this area, demanding not just from a a proactive perspective, like what are you doing to, to you know to, to save the environment? It's actually what are you doing to de-risk yourself from the you know your exposure to these types of impacts? Um, you know, you saw uh, you've you know seen major uh, investment institutes like BlackRock come out in support of it. I know the Australian Council of Superannuation Investors were out earlier in the week talking about threatening to vote against um, uh, directors who didn't uh, respond adequately to these types of risks. I think there's there's that's part of it. Certainly, a growing element of it. And I think the third is is actually. Um, uh, you know, it, it's actually a bit of a disruption argument. I think that for companies that do have um, a, a product exposure to climate-related risk, um, you know, whether that's um, you know something that's direct, like the way we drive cars or the way we produce energy, or you know perhaps something less direct, like the way you know in, in Stockland's case, like the way we build houses um, or the way we power buildings. I think. There's actually a, a there's an innovation component of this to sort of say that if you um, if if you get ahead of this if if your consumer base is demanding this and you can get ahead of it then you can actually create a um, do it at a scale or create a point of difference where you benefit from it rather than being dragged to the table on it and I think you know Stockland's come out and um, you know committed to a net zero um, a carbon target by 2030 uh, I think there's there's other companies that are doing it you know in similar timeframes I think these are the increasingly going to be the types of things you're going to see it's, it's the certainty it's the yeah, uh, that, that, that it creates by by getting ahead of the regulation, if you want to call it that. Melanie, what do you think? Does it does it even matter that uh, that uh, corporations are um, ahead of national 
climate change uh, targets? Yeah, I mean, I think environmental sustainability and the challenges of climate change are now mainstream for the community, particularly in Australia. I mean, we've had, obviously, on the back of the bushfires, and as Lou was mentioning, you know, as recently with the super funds, the investor pressures, you know, um, that are, you know, demanding clarity and, and insisting that large fund managers move away from fossil fuel investments. I mean, I think also the community sees the government's um, position starkly and precisely as it is. You know, it's motivated by power and control and not effective, not to deal effectively with, you know, the human challenge of, of climate change. And we saw that, you know, in Edelman's trust barometer in Australia, which- Melanie's means... very equivocal today, Mel. I know, I don't know what it is. I'm just being really decisive. Maybe I've done my homework, Mr. Burns. Um, but, you know, the Edelman Trust Barometer last year reinforced that trust for corporates is increasing in terms of ethics and competency, whereas conversely for governments it's declining. And so in a sense, you know, employers and corporates are becoming the mainstay of trust, particularly in response to climate change. Um, um, you know, the community is demanding transparency around a corporation's value and supply chain, and this is intensified as a, as a minimum social licence to operate. Um, and it's unlikely to diminish given that millennials and emerging generations have, you know, intense and powerful scrutiny and expectations of the way corporations are behaving. And they're the next employee uh, yeah. pipeline, right, for, for corporations. And inevitably, you know, this is going to cause conflict with government and regulators, but corporations only survive if they have the trust and respect of their communities and their employees and their customers. So it's kind of a bit of a no-brainer. Yep. Okay, well, that's great. Well, I, I wish we could uh, speak longer, but thank you both very much for your insights and for your, your commentary. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of In Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for more at the Centre's Very Public Affairs podcast show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about best practice public affairs, visit the Centre for Corporate Public Affairs at www.accpa.com.au.